Um, would you agree with me that the smallest of details can be very important? The smallest of details in our life can be very important. Let me give you a few examples. If you and your family were leaving on a dream vacation to Hawaii, do you think it would be important for you to remember your airplane tickets? Small detail, but you ain't going without it, right? Unless you're going to take a rowboat. If you and your family were going to go on a deep sea fishing trip in the Gulf of Mexico, do you think that it would be important to fill the gas tanks in the boat? Small detail, pretty doggone important, right? If you have the oil change in your car, would you say that it's pretty important to make sure that you tighten that oil plug underneath? That little bitty oil plug? Small detail, but if you don't, you're going to be afoot. Amen? So today I want to address an area of our lives that I believe needs more attention. And that is our love life. Our love life. We throw that word love around so flippantly that it has all these different contexts. For instance, we tell our relatives that we love them, and we should. We um, tell our fellow church members that we love them, and we should. We tell our children that we love them, and boy, should we. But all of these loves different. We can love food. We can love our pets. We can love activities. We can love possessions. We can love nature. We can love places. We can even love God's blessings. But sometimes when we use that word love, it just lacks meaning. Words without substance are meaningless. Love without action is meaningless. How many of you have heard that love is a verb? What is a verb? A verb is an action word. Well, love is a verb. It is an action word and we need to make sure that the love that we have is demonstrated through actions. Now coming off the heels of last Sunday's message where I talked to you about God's design for marriage, I thought it would be helpful for us to make sure that we know what God's design for love looks like. So for the next few weeks, we're going to take a hard look at 15 qualities of love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bible. So let's jump right in. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Uh, it's not very long. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy, 
I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could move a mountain, but I have not love, And though I bestow all my foods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, and love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, God's love, never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, and then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known just as I am also known. Now abide these, faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So the first quality that God says is a picture of his love. The first way that you and I can model his kind of love is the fact that love suffers long. That's quality number one. God's kind of love is patient with others. And all I can say is God must really love me because he has been so patient with me year after year. Now, the original Bible word for long-suffering describes patience with people, not necessarily patience with your circumstances. So, that being said, it describes the love of God for people that is slow to get angry and is slow to get frustrated. That's the love of God. Peter reminds us of this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, the Lord is not slack. That is, he's not slow concerning his promises, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all, that all should come to repentance. Friend, that's the patience of God. He wants everybody to get saved. He wants everybody to come to Christ. That's how patient and long-suffering our God is. You see, in relating to others, you and I are called to exercise the same patience that God exercises with us. If we're going to model the love of God, then we must learn to be patient with other people. 
And if we're honest, sometimes that's not always easy, is it? Have you ever encountered somebody who is just plain, mean-spirited? Friend, have you ever come across somebody that seems to relish in hurting other people? Hurting their feelings? Have you ever known somebody who has a sharp tongue and knows how to use it? I have known all those kinds of people. But my point is this. It's not always easy to be patient with people. In fact, you may need to pray for an extra measure of God's grace to help you be long-suffering, to help you be patient with other people. But can I tell you, that is a grace that God is always ready to give. So let us ask Him if we find ourselves being frustrated or short-tempered with someone. For instance, we must learn to be patient with people in church. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, here we go, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How many of you know that church people... How many of you know that church pastors are not perfect? Show of hands. We're not. Church people are not perfect. How many of you know that church people will sometimes let you down? Pastors may even let you down. How many of you know that church people sometimes have issues? <laughs> Amen. Pastor Tim Patrick says that he had a man with issues in his church. This man continually strained his patience until the pastor gave that man a nickname. And he gave that man the nickname Grumpy. Because every time he came into the church house, it seemed like he was grumpy. He remembers one time when Grumpy came in and got grumpy. And it was so bad that the pastor said, I've had it. I'm going to Grumpy's house, and I'm going to give Grumpy a piece of my mind. And so after church, he went over to Grumpy's house. And while he was there, Grumpy came out of the bedroom, and he had brought the pastor a sign. And it said, best pastor ever. It seemed that Grumpy could be sweet when he wanted to. Grumpy could be grumpy when he wanted to. You have to be patient with people in church. What do you do with grumpy people? What do you do with people who you lose your patience with? I want to encourage you, be patient with people. I want to encourage you, don't easily lose heart with people. I want to encourage you, be long-suffering like God is long-suffering with you. I believe that we also must learn to be patient in marriage. One of my favorite passages to use in weddings comes from Colossians chapter 3, and it says this, Paul writing to another church, and he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, 
kindness, humility, meekness. Here we go. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has complained against the other, even so as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love. Put on love. How many of you married ladies have projects or honeydew lists that you made for your husbands a long time ago? <laughs> Emma almost broke her arm getting hers up. One, two. Okay, so there's five of us, all right. Wow. You guys better shape up. Can I encourage you? It's not 2025 yet. Be patient. Amen. It's coming. Now, how many of you husbands have an issue with pillows? Issue with pillows in your house. Darling, do you know that we have 12 pillows in our living room? I didn't know either until I counted them. I don't have an issue with pillows, but it's, we got 12 pillows, not counting the sofa cushions. It's crazy. We got pillows. You know, here at Bethel, our pillows used to have babies. That's right. Every Sunday you come to church, man, there'd be more pillows. It'd be everywhere. But pillows, how do you know? You know, we're just different. How many of you know that men are different from women? Right? We're real different. We're a lot different. And so because we are so different, patience is a very important quality. To be patient with our spouses. We must realize that we are different. But in most cases, those differences make our marriage better. They make our marriages more balanced. They make our marriages stronger. They make our marriages more interesting, to say the least. Amen? I mean, they make our, our marriages blessed. And as I mentioned last week, differences between husbands and wives are not bad. And they shouldn't be sources of conflict. Rather, they should be sources of strength. But understanding that, takes patience. Understanding that differences aren't bad, but are potentially good, requires patience. But we must also learn to be patient when we're at work. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So what was that? Chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what he wrote to Timothy. He said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith. Here we go. Long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Can I also say that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus must be long-suffering. Must be willing to try to be patient. That is what the Word of God says. You know, the world may think that this quality of, of patience is kind of a wimpy characteristic. But we admire the strong, the hard-driving, the leader types, right? But not patience. They shouldn't be patient with people, but patience refers to godliness under control. You see, because what God should have done with me, 
is he should have struck me down. He should have condemned me. He should have said, no, you'll never be mine. But instead, what did he do? He was long-suffering with me and allowed me to come to him in repentance. Same way with us. And can I tell you, friend, that in no other area can you learn patience better than when you're dealing with children. Can I get a testimony? Amen. Children have this unique ability, amen, to weave their way under your skin and to work on you and bring out the frustration of any adult. But there is no other setting under God's Son where we have a greater opportunity to demonstrate godliness under control. No greater opportunity than with children. You have no greater opportunity to grow your patience. You have no greater opportunity to reveal the love of God than when you're dealing with children. So be patient with them. Demonstrate godliness. Demonstrate long-suffering. Because the first quality that God says models his kind of love is that it is active in patience. It's active in long-suffering. But there's a second quality that we found there in 1 Corinthians 13, and that is that love is kind. Now, who can tell me what kindness is? Can anybody tell me what kindness is? Is that because none of you are kind? Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's pretty good. And that kind of encapsulates kind of where I was going to come from. Because, because love is a verb, right? Because love is an action word, kindness is the practice of doing something to show love, consideration, or blessing to another person. It's the actual act of love. It's the verb part of love. And kindness should be displayed even in church. If kindness is not displayed here, what hope do we have to display kindness out there? Right? So it should always begin here. And Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, here's what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. You know, I see kindness, kindness displayed in our church every time we gather. I see Miss Francis loving on the ladies that are in her class. I know I get the opportunity to love on the, the, the couples that are in our class. Uh, we know that our youth leaders are, are pouring out kindness and loving on the teenagers. We know that Miss Jen and Miss Cassie are loving on the littles and the mediums. Amen. All these children. And I see these kindnesses. Practical actions of love being poured out week after week, demonstrating and modeling.
the love of God. And you know, sometimes visitors come in here and they don't know a soul. They might be from out of the area or out of the state. But they come in here and y'all are so good to love on people, right? To actually show and demonstrate kindness to people who come to visit us here. Kindness should be displayed here. But kindness should also be displayed in marriage. Another passage I like to share at weddings is one that Terry White, Brother Howe, shared with me when I was ordained on this very stage some 16 years ago. And here's what he said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. The Bible says, let, the, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, let your love be real. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Sadly, many marriages that I hear about are one that I read about last week. And it was this, this husband and his wife who had gone to their marriage counselor first visit, and the couple kept blaming one another for all the problems in their life. And so the counselor, wisely, to try to help them focus on their own flaws, asked each one this question. What have you personally done to contribute to the problems in your marriage? Well, the wife spoke up first, and she said, well, for me, it was... Getting angry all the time. It was like I was being prideful and was so often impatient. Many times I was, I was even jealous of my husband. And then the man spoke up and said, well, for me, it was marrying her. A lot of married couples are like that. Can't see their own flaws. They sure point out the flaws of others. Can I, just, can I share with you? A couple of ways that you can display kindness in your marriage. Men, I'm going to speak to you first. You want to demonstrate kindness in your marriage? How about wash the dishes on occasion? How about clean the house every now and then? I'm stepping on some toes, ain't I? Here we go. How about buy your bride some flowers? How about show her honor every time you're out by opening the door for her? Listen, guys, those are just simple things that can have a profound effect on your bride if you'll do them. Now, I have a warning for you because if you demonstrate that kind of kindness to your wife, it may radically change the way that she treats you. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Ladies, what can you do to demonstrate kindness to your husband? Well, you can remind him often of how much you respect him. You can make sure that you thank him for his leadership in the home, even if it's not quite what it should be yet. What else can you do to demonstrate kindness? Encourage him in his hobby. Cook him a special meal from, a, from time to time. 
buying tickets to his favorite sporting event. Whatever the case might be. But I have a warning for you, ladies. Demonstrating kindness to your husband this way may radically change the way he treats you. So beware. Because kindness should be displayed in marriage. But you know what? Overall, I think that kindness should be displayed in all of our daily activities. Peter reminds us that God has given us very great and awesome precious promises. And here's what he says. That through those promises, we may be partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add patience. And to perseverance, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. Kindness. And to your brotherly kindness, add love. Often, when we're at work, we just get caught up in doing our work. We just forget about the needs of people around us. But what an incredible opportunity. Right there, you're surrounded by people who have needs. So we need to realize that we're called by God. Called by God to show brotherly kindness in all of our daily activities. I saw that Kathy Martin was uh, overwhelmed at a display of kindness that was revealed to her. Said she hadn't been to McDonald's and she didn't know how long. But she went to McDonald's and the people in front of her had paid for her, her meal. And she was overwhelmed at that display of brotherly kindness. I mean, I know that our youth group, sometimes that's what they do. They just go to McDonald's and they just buy food for people. It's just amazing. It's showing uh, brotherly kindness to people and we need to be about that business. The people with whom we come into contact desperately need to see the Lord. They desperately need to see Christian compassion and brotherly kindness. So, the first quality that God says models His kind of love is that love suffers long. The second quality is love is kind. Now the third and last one for today is that love does not envy. And James speaks about envy clearly in James chapter 3 and verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But listen. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and even demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. There cannot be envy in God's kind of love. William Barclay says that there are two kinds of envy. One is the one that you're aware of. It's when one covets the possessions of somebody else. And it's difficult for human beings not to feel that way. Sometimes we see something that someone else has and we kind of say, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had a boat like that guy has. 
Wish he had a fishing pole like that guy has. How come he's got so many lures and I don't? Amen, brother? You feel me? You feel me? All right, he's smelling me. All right. Good deal. You know, that's, that's one kind of envy. And it's a human thing, so it's kind of difficult to avoid. But there's a second kind of envy. And it's much, much worse. The second kind of envy begrudges the very fact that somebody's got something you don't. It's not the possession itself. It's the fact that somebody else has got something that you don't. It's not so much that it wants something for itself. It just wishes that other people didn't have it. You know, the first church faced enemies that were filled with envy. Listen carefully to Acts chapter 13, in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. That's interesting. I mean, the whole city, has, I wish the whole city would gather to hear me preach the word of God. Amen? What if Minor Hill and Lexington and Anderson all came up here to preach? Man, I'd be getting a big head. Amen? But that's what happened. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And they're filled with contradicting and blaspheming and opposed the things that were spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we're going to turn to the non-Jews. We're going to go to this other group of people. Envy. How many of you know that Christians are not above being envious? We're not above having that kind of behavior. Simply put, if something good happens to me, then I should be the first one in line to congratulate them and tell them how awesome it is that they've got something I didn't got. That should be the opposite of envy. And the New Testament tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's, do not, that's loving without envy. Now, before I finish today, I want you to be reminded of four original Bible words for love. A lot of different contexts of love. We already talked about that. But the first word for love in the original Bible language is the word eros. Eros refers to sexual love. That's where we get the word erotic. Okay? Second one is phileo. And that refers to brotherly love. And that's where we get the word philanthropy. Right? Helping our fellow brother. The third one is the word storge. And it refers to family love. Like loving your kin folks and loving your church folks. Right? But the fourth one is the one we're called to model. And it's the word agape. Agape is God's kind of love. Agape is a self-giving, sacrificial love that always has somebody else's best at heart. That's the kind of love that we need in our marriages. That self-giving, sacrificial kind of love is the kind of love that we need in our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. It's that kind of love. The 
Why do we need it so desperately? Because that kind of love always builds up. It never tears down. It's always constructive, not destructive. God's kind of love is always positive and never negative. Even when it seems negative, it's for our best. And it's sacrificial and self-giving. Now, while these qualities of love that we've been talking about today, uh, they're not easy to live out. It takes some, some effort. They are qualities of God's love. And God says in his word, my children, my servants, I want you to emulate my kind of love to each other. I want you to emulate my kind of love to one another and even to those who are lost, even to those who treat you poorly. I want you to emulate my love to them. So, it seems to me that God's kind of love is a choice. We wake up every day and we choose if we're going to love like God loves or if we're going to try to love like the world loves. Right? So let's be sure. Yes, these choices, yes, these qualities are demanding. In fact, I don't know that they can be fulfilled without the grace of God. But they are, they are traits of love. They are attributes of the love of God that we are called to imitate and to, to say to, to other people in our marriages and our families. So with that in mind, I want to close with three remarks that you need to know today before you leave. And that is this. This godly, supernatural, self-giving, sacrificial kind of love, you can be real religious and still not have it. You can check your church box every Sunday. You can check your Bible box every Monday morning if you want to. But you still does not necessarily mean that you have God's love. Why? Because love is a verb. Love requires action. Love is a choice. Just because you do religious things doesn't mean you're a Christian. You have to show God's love intentionally and deliberately. Second, you just can't fake God's love. People see right through it. They'll see if it's genuine or real. God's love is supernatural and it's expressed through an act of surrender. Looking out for somebody else's best instead of my own. Last point. To reflect the love of God, we must be submissive to His leadership. We must be willing to make the choice to love like God loves. My prayer for you is that you will do that. But before that even, my prayer is, is that you will accept the Lord's love in your life. Because you can't love like this until you've accepted the Lord's love for yourself. So today during our decision time, you're going to have this opportunity to accept the Lord's love. To accept the Lord's love that he revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. You're going to have that opportunity here in just a moment. But Christian, 
I want to ask you a question. Will you submit? Will you surrender yourself to love like God? Will you submit to reflect God's love in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in all your daily activities, at work? Will you reflect the love of God and be used as a holy instrument? It's decision time for you too. So when this song is being sung, our prayer is that if the Lord is speaking to you about how you can love better, how you can pay attention to that small detail called our love life, I pray that you won't hesitate to come. And let's pray because we all need to be better lovers of God and better reflectors of the love of God. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us like you do, that even while we were wretched sinners, not deserving of anything you had to offer, you loved us. And you demonstrated that love, and that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus on a mission. You sent Jesus on a mission to save our souls. Father, if there is one here, that desperately needs to receive the love gift of God, Father, I pray that they would not go another day because we don't know if tomorrow's coming. Lord, I pray that they would receive your love today. And Lord, for those that are already yours, Lord, let us be convicted in our heart of hearts, Father, that we need to be reflecting the love of God in every area of our life, whether it be in marriage, in our homes, in our workplace, in our circle of friends. Father, let people see the love of God being manifest in us and through us. Lord, I pray it would happen for your glory. Lord, you speak to those who need to make a decision this morning and we'll be swift to give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.